0: Hello, America, and happy Thursday, a busy Thursday. It is two breaking stories exclusive to the Justin News family this morning. First off, a new development in the censorship machinery of the United States government. New records, actual notes taken by Facebook executives of their meetings with the Biden White House talk about efforts to turn up the dial so that Facebook users saw more news about COVID vaccines and COVID from the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and less from the Daily Wire run by Ben Shapiro and by Fox News commentator Tommy Laren. That's what it actually says. Those are the notes. They were turned over recently to House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, who was on the show earlier this week. Major new evidence of just how extensive and also how below the radar the censorship machinery of the government and the private sector working together as sort of as one large industrial complex to censor opinions, usually to the detriment of conservatives that's out there. A big story today. One of the victims of that, Tommy Laren. she's going to join us in a few minutes. Boy, she has a few words to say. She's never short of words. (laughs) She has something to say to the Biden White House and to Facebook about this. We also talked to Ben Shapiro last night. He says the Daily Wire, which he founded and which has become really a tremendous news organization, they're considering litigation, possible litigation against the Biden White House and Facebook for collaborating on this. Of course, this builds out a picture that Jim Jordan, through subpoenas, was able to get information on in which the Louisiana and Missouri attorney generals, Andrew Bailey in Missouri, Jeff Landry in Louisiana, have been building out in a federal lawsuit that has now won an injunction against the Biden White House to stop censoring America, stop having conversations that pressure, cajole, encourage, push social media giants to censor political speech, opinions, things we're allowed to say. We're not talking about foreign disinformation. We're talking about Americans' opinions. Tommy Lahren's going to tell you the story. All that Tommy Lahren said was she had made a personal decision not to get a vaccine. That's it. That's all she said. She didn't say, you shouldn't get it. She didn't deride the pharmaceutical companies. That mere expression of her personal choice not to get a vaccine lit up the Biden White House enough that they were talking to Facebook. Hey, do you think we can do this? Now, you can read the whole documents and the story that I did with my colleague Natalia Middlestadt on the site. It's getting a lot of attention today. It's a very important story in the culture of censorship that seems to have come around on so many of the platforms and inside the federal agencies we've seen homeland security cdc now the biden white house a very big thing and i know tommy laren's gonna have a lot to say in just a little bit second big shoe to drop is that Devin archer's testimony was officially released today we got it early at just the news there's a there's a headline or two in here beyond what we already heard from james comer on the show earlier this week Devin Archer, the business partner of Hunter Biden, says that Hunter Biden functioned as a quote unquote lobbyist. Keep that put a pin in that for a second. That's going to be important. And that he leveraged a very powerful name, i.e. the Biden name, to score millions of dollars in deals with foreign oligarchs and businesses, including a Ukrainian energy firm that was seeking protection from corruption probes and other legal woes. That's a lot to take in. All right. Hunter Biden was a lobbyist. Why is that important? He was representing foreign interests. This is something that the Republicans have been suing. Was he really a lobbyist? Because if he did, he had to potentially register under the Foreign Agent Registration Act, the law that Paul Manafort got prosecuted in as a Republican. Well, Devin Archer says he was a lobbyist. That's what he did. He was doing lobbying, soft lobbying, hard lobbying, whatever you want to call it. It was lobbying. He also said that the way the lobbying worked is that a client like Burisma Holdings or the Ukrainian oligarchs or others they got access to the family brand. The most valuable portion of that brand was Joe Biden, the vice president. In fact, Joe Biden reinforced the value of that brand by coming to some dinners in Washington, D.C. with the clients and getting on the phone to make small talk when suitors and clients were coming up in China, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, et cetera, et cetera. Now, as it relates to Burisma, where we now have allegations of a pay-to-play bribery scheme that Joe Biden, Hunter Biden allegedly paid $10 million that we haven't found the money trail yet, or Congress hasn't. But the FBI was told about this in 2020 to help Burisma get rid of the prosecutor, Ukrainian attorney general, essentially, prosecutor general, they called him, Victor Shokin, who was investigating Burisma at the time. Well, Archer said they were pressuring Hunter Biden to do something about it. He wanted D.C. help to deal with Shokin. Okay, we got that. Good. That's the first thing. Put a pin in that. Then the second thing is, how would Hunter Biden bring value to Burisma and its goal of dealing with these corruption allegations, the shocking investigation, everything? And believe it or not, the most explosive answer in the transcript comes from a Democrat's question. Yeah, Rep. Dan Goldman, I think, was taking Devin Archer down a path and he didn't know the answer. You never ask a question. You don't know the answer to an interrogation. Dan Goldman ended up eliciting the big, I think, the most important line in the transcript. What did he say? Well, Goldman was asking, you know, how would Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, the brand work to help Burisma in these circumstances? How would that work? He said. And then Devin Archer uttered these words because people would be intimidated to mess with them, meaning people would be intimidated to mess with Burisma, knowing that the brand Hunter and Joe Biden were involved in it. And then Goldman followed up. In what way would they be intimidated? And he said, legally, you get it? legally, meaning Bracema wouldn't face prosecution or legal consequences as long as the Biden family name was giving it protection. That was a really dramatic moment, and I think one that's going to play into very significant new revelations, new roadmaps for House Republicans and the Oversight Committee, James Comer particularly, taking a look at. There's several new leads there, but I do think this Farah thing is going to be Very important that that basically this was a soft form of lobbying, getting influence for foreigners who wanted influence in Washington. And there's this great moment where first Devin Archer describes some of the dinners at the Cafe Milano, two of them: one in April 2014, one in April 2015. There's a Russian oligarch, there's a Ukrainian set of businessmen, there's a whole bunch of others. And those are dinners where they're direct contact. Joe Biden stays for the whole dinner. He's there. He's talking. So he's meeting with these people. And then there are times where Hunter Biden's overseas. He's got a dad on the phone. He puts them on the phone for everybody to hear and makes small talk. And the Republicans are like, that's kind of weird. A sitting vice president calling somebody who's trying to lobby for business right at that point. And he said it out loud. That is a little odd. I mean, it is not odd. I mean, it's quite obvious what we're talking around Archer said, all right. So he's telling Congressman, well, it's odd, but you know what? We're trying to, let's get to the big gorilla in the room. And he said, well, what are we talking about? Republicans asked him. He said, the end of the day, part of what was delivered is the brand. I mean, it's like anything. If you're Jamie son or any CEO, you know, I think that when they're talking with you, there's a brand being delivered along with the capabilities and reach. I think the brand is the best way to describe it. And then he went on to say, in the case of Hunter Biden, the most valuable part of the brand was Joe Biden access To Joe Biden He also told us just give you this last kicker The charmed life That Hunter Biden Even while snorting cocaine Even while losing a gun And doing things like that Not paying his taxes Being a mess That Hunter Biden Still reaped a lot of benefits Sort of charmed luck He he talked about one instance Where a Kazakh businessman Named Kenny Rukashev He's Kazakhstan businessman. He had just had a dinner with Joe Biden in April 2014. And then he wires $142,300 into one of the companies that Hunter Biden and Devin Archer had. And then right away, money gets wired back out to a car company. What was it supposed to be? He was supposed to buy Hunter a six-figure car, right? And he says, I believe it was a Fisker first and then a Porsche, but it was an expensive car. That's Archer's last line on that uh, little thing. Imagine that. You get a diamond from a Chinese oligarch. You get from a Kazakh businessman a $142,000 car. You get interest-free, no obligation loans. What a charm life to be a Biden. That's what Devin Archer played into. But keep in mind, the lobbyist terminology may be one of the most important things to come out of this, as well as... No one was going to mess with Burisma and his corruption problems as long as the Biden family, the Biden brand was associated with. Those are the big headlines. Last thing happening before we go to commercial break. We'll bring Tommy Lair on in a second. Donald Trump will be arraigned today on the third indictment. This one involving January 6th, the allegation that he committed fraud, knowingly told the American people there's fraud when he knew there wasn't. I think a lot of people are disputing whether Donald Trump knew that or still knows that even today. Ourself believes that today, but that was a big part of it. We'll have live-to-live coverage. Just go to just the news.com or the Justin News, Apple, and Android apps. You'll get all the breaking news coverage there. In addition to that great Facebook story and the Devin Archer testimony, you can read the whole testimony. We put up the entire document for you to read. It's really good reading. Read it a couple times. It's kind of fun. All right. We've got a killer show for you. As I said, Tommy Laren, the great young conservative commentator on Fox News, she's going to join us to talk about her reaction to hearing Facebook and the Biden White House talking about turning down the dial on her on her social media on Facebook. In the second segment, we've got something very fun. Here's not something you're not going to hear every day. I've got a former mobster who just wrote a children's book. You didn't hear me wrong. I just said that. A former mobster who has a brand new children's book out. Michael Frenzies, one of the great crime bosses of the Colombo family, reformed himself became a Christian, became a motivational speaker, an actor. He's got a big YouTube following. He's got a brand new book, Brave Books, my publisher for my children's book and headlines. He's got one out called The Treasure of Cabal Island. It's a lesson for young children. Delightful story, but about the dangers of greed, just like my book was a lesson about the dangers of censorship. And this weekend, I'm going to be in McLean, Virginia, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. I'm going to do a book reading. Michael's going to be in another location. He'll be doing a book reading. Kurt Cameron's going to be another location. All the great, brave book authors are going to be out around the country on Saturday morning because it is national. See you at the library day, August 5th. Like I said, I'll be in the Washington, D.C. suburbs of McLean, at the McLean Library, reading my book. Michael's going to be reading his book, A Celebration of Family Friendly God-loving, American-loving books for young children, countering some of the negativity that are out in social media and in schools today. That's all it is, just gonna be. We're not preaching, we're not we're not uh, hating, we're just simply reading a good book to a good family or a set of families, and I'm excited to do that. How exciting is that? The last guest is my good friend, Tim Stewart, the president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, he's going mean, to, as you know, he's been running the hands off my campaign. That is building momentum. People all around the country getting mad about the government reaching into their home and telling them what they can and can't put in and his appliances, taking away gas cooking. That's not very popular. But he's got another thing I want you to hear. I really want to listen to this. 150 ways that the Biden administration and Democratic politicians around the country are making it harder to produce oil and gas at a time when oil and gas prices are going up because OPEC's cutting back production and when demand for energy is really strained. Why would you take away resources at a moment when you need those resources? Tim Stewart from the U.S. Oil Gas Association and Hands Off My Stove, he's going to join us for that. And keep in mind, you can join Hands Off My Stove, $1 a month, $12 a year, that's less than you can buy a soda at McDonald's, right? It's a cheap thing. You get involved in a national movement to tell governments from the federal government down to the city the governments, keep your hands off my stuff. I want to keep my gas stove. Don't tell me I can't have it in my new house, my next house, my next building. That is a powerful movement. You go to handsoffmystove.com to go check that out. All right. When we come back, Tommy Laren will kick us off that Facebook censorship story that a real live mobster reformed now out of prison, a Christian who's now got a children's book out. You're going to love that, Michael. Francis, And then we're going to finish up with Tim Stewart, a big conversation about energy. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these messages. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of Triple Lock Home Title Protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite. Welcome back, folks, to the commercial break. An extraordinary set of new documents from the House Judiciary Committee showing White House, Biden White House discussions with Facebook, trying to turn the dials up and down to silence conservatives and to accentuate news organizations like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal that adhere to the Biden's favorite narratives. One of the victims of that is joining us right now. She's one of the most recognizable voices on television in news today. Tommy Laren, good to have you on the show. Uh, pretty disturbing documents here. Uh, I want to get your reaction off the top. What's it feel like to know that the Biden White House was trying to find a way to turn down your voice?
1: Well, I'm flattered, I have to say, but more than flattery, I feel vindicated and validated. John, I've known that I've been throttled on social media. A lot of weird things happened to me in that era of 2020 through really to date, whether it was talking about BLM and the riot season or COVID. I knew that something was going on because people weren't seeing me as they had before. So I figured there was some kind of shenanigans happening. So to actually see this outlined and and you reporting it and seeing my name there, not once, not twice, but several times, On top of mind for the White House and the White House Digital Director, Rob Flaherty, I mean, I feel validated, but I also feel mad as hell because this is not only un-American, not only a violation of the First Amendment, but every American should be enraged about this. They're not seeing and hearing the things that they want to see and hear. So to me, this is a, a complete infringement.
0: Yeah. And in the lawyers we talked to her for the story agreed there is some real legal issues here that, uh, of Facebook essentially becoming an agent of the United States government. Therefore, censorship is government sanctioned. I want to ask what you were seeing. So you're going through this. Uh, you don't make any controversial comments like, hey, people don't get your shot. You just told your own personal story. You went through a journey. You made a decision not to get the COVID vaccine. And all of a sudden they find that a threat. Did you see data signs on your side with your Facebook and other things that things were being manipulated?
1: Yeah, Facebook and Instagram, you know, I would have people that have loyally followed me for many, many years telling me not seeing you on Facebook, searching for you on Facebook. It said could not find. It would be an error. You know, obviously, my accounts would have flags on them, just as everybody's did when I discussed COVID in any way, shape or form. But also weird things would happen on the Instagram side. So I'm curious to see, as we know, Meta owns Facebook and Instagram. I'd also be curious to see what throttling impact they had over on Instagram because there were several instances as recently as this fall when I would talk about COVID or I would talk about the vaccine and then suddenly certain capabilities on my Instagram would be taken away from me. I wouldn't be able to tag people. Things would go down. My stories would not upload. I couldn't share things. And I could never really get to the bottom of it. I couldn't prove anything. But this leads me to believe that was all part of this. They were finding some way to mess with me, some way to reduce me, not only on Facebook, but also on Instagram, where I have 1.9 million followers, in addition to the 4.7 I have on Facebook.
0: Yeah, it's remarkable. And it's clear when you read the full set of notes, they wanted this to be as fingerprintless as possible, that you wouldn't be able to prove it real easily. You wouldn't be able to see it. There wasn't a notice out there. Hey, we're censoring Tommy Lara today. We're promoting the New York Times because we like their narrative better. The idea that the government and these really big tech oligarchs, because that's what they become now. They're so powerful, so monopolistic, that they could do this and kind of keep the evidence from the American um, uh, people, how unnerving is it to know that all this was kind of below uh, the radar in the dark at night, sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, that's why I'm so thankful for not for the several lawsuits at this point and the Facebook files with Congressman Jim Jordan exposing this because now I think other big tech companies they need to be well aware that they could be next. So, whatever they have done, whatever they are currently doing. I think that they need a day of reckoning for all of the social platforms, and they should know that this information is going to be brought to light, at least I hope so, and they're going to have to answer for it. And the biggest part of this, too, that really bothers me, as you mentioned previously, I wasn't just out there saying uh, the vaccine is worthless, basically worthless, uh, which I believe, but I was saying, hey, I'm not going to get it. You get it. You double mask. You stay home and live like a vegetable, uh, terrified to breathe air. That's fine. I'm not going to live that way. And that was enough to make the White House say, "Mm, Tommy Lahren's a problem. That's what's really concerning because you can't mask that as misinformation or disinformation. That's just my personal choice that I was putting out to my followers. Mm, Not so sure why they were so obsessed with that.
0: Well, uh, they seem to be obsessed with a lot of political speech, which used to always be protected without question. And today it's manipulated so much. I think you show up four times in the notes and then there's many other times we show up in the emails that have been out there. Uh, they clearly were targeting you and others like you. Um, the next step is what are the solutions? First was a question for you. Do you sue? Do you take action? I want to ask you about that. But then I know you've been doing a lot of thought about the bigger free speech challenge we're facing in America. And I'd like to get some closing thoughts from you on what we need to do as a country to get a grasp on this. I think we all assume we had free speech. It's not so free anymore.
1: Well, the Supreme Court has been an ally, and I hope that this case goes all the way to the Supreme Court, because I'd like to see it decided there once and for all. But beyond that, I think that conservatives and independent thinkers in general, we have a lot more power than we realize. And we've seen that with Bud Light. We've seen it with Target. We've seen it with Jason Aldean's song being number one on Billboard for the first time, a country he has personally been able to ascend to that level. So Conservatives, independents, patriots, we have a lot more power than we might believe, and we can put more pressure on these companies than they think we can. So beyond all the legal challenges, I would just encourage patriots to get a little louder, no longer be the silent majority, but be the louder majority, and maybe we can get some things changed that way in addition to the legal route.
0: Yeah, it's a powerful movement that has started. And you're right, Target, uh, Bud Light, lots of people feeling the pain. Jason Aldean, the the great support of him that's happened. Uh, There's a lot of marketplace forces. Uh, There's another element of this. You run a business. You have a business. It is clear that these sort of discussions, these sort of tactics – torturously interfered in your business, your ability to make money, your ability to keep maintained contact with your audiences. How concerning is it that maybe there was an entire conservative ecosystem that had their business robbed and they couldn't see what was going on?
1: Yeah, that's very concerning. And, you know, I haven't decided what I'm going to do legally here. I mean, it sounds like quite the ambitious task to sue the White House and Sue, Facebook and all these people. Uh, My pockets might not be as deep as Ben Shapiro. So I hope that he does something (laughs) and I'd like to sit back and watch. But, you know, again, I think this is just more fuel for me to show people, hey, listen, whether you're Republican, Democrat, independent, it doesn't matter. You have a stake in this. So pay attention. And if I have to be the person that's swept up in all of this for you to understand what's going on, I'm happy to be that person. And I wear it like a badge of honor.
0: Yeah, that I know. And you're a fighter. You never stop fighting. Last question, how important is it for conservatives to start to build alternative platforms to compete with the Facebooks, take away some of that monopolistic advantage they've had in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be so important. And, you know, we have those discussions here on Outkick all the time. What other avenues are we going to join? Twitter has been great, obviously, since Twitter has been freed. X has been freed. That's been a great platform for us and for me personally. Um, But beyond Facebook and beyond YouTube, you know, there's discussions about Rumble. Do we want to get into that space? And then beyond that, you know, we have such a great presence online with the power and the audience of Fox News. So maybe taking more advantage of foxnews.com so we can really get to the core and the base of our followers that watch us on air. I think all of those things are worth discussing and we've got to be everywhere all at once, all the time.
0: Yeah, that is the key. Well, one thing I know of, you're never going to get your voice silenced. You're going to keep fighting to tell people the truth and to give your side of the story, which I think is so important. Tommy, great honor to have you on. Thanks for helping us with this story. We'll be sure to check in with you real soon. Thanks so much, John. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Michael Franzi's former Colombo crime family mob boss, now reformed man, motivational speaker, actor, Christian, and children's author for the first time. He's got a new book out, The Treasure of Cabal Island. He'll be reading it Saturday at a library near him in California. I'll be reading one at a library in Washington, D.C. on See You at the Library Day, the great movement that Brave Books and my good friend Kirk Cameron has started all across this country. Michael will be up next right after these messages. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax advantaged, aligned with your values and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account All right, folks. Welcome back from the commercial break. This Saturday, 9 a.m., I'm going to be in McLean, Virginia, in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., to do another children's book reading on what is a very cool uh, National Movement Day. See you at the Library Day. Kurt Cameron, Brave Books, all of our good friends. You've heard them all on the show so many times. Uh, all across this country, uh, Americans just celebrating family friendly, God-loving, America-loving books for their children are going to be doing this. I'm just one of many places I'm so excited about it one of the folks that are going to be participating uh, in this has i think one of the most intriguing uh biographies you could have to be a children's offer uh michael frenzies is a, a former crime boss from the colombo crime family uh, i think fortune magazine once listed him as like the number 18 of the most wealthy and powerful mafia bosses he uh got went to prison, got released from prison. He turned his life around. He's an actor. He has an incredible YouTube following A motivational speaker. And now he too, like me, is a children's book author. He's got a brand new book out from Brave Books called The Treasure of Cabal Island. And Michael joins us right now. Michael, welcome to the show. What an honor to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, John. Um, you have one of those stories that I think motivate people. We all have times in our life. I wonder, can I get through this crisis? Can I turn this part of my life around? You went from mob boss to really role model and you're inspiring people. And now you're even inspiring children to love this country. Uh, Just for people who don't know your personal story, what was it like to make that incredible transition?
2: Well, it was difficult, John, at first, because, you know, I basically grew up in that life. My dad was the underboss of the Colombo family, one of the five New York Mafia families. So I grew up around my dad and and grew up in the life. And even though initially I wasn't headed that way, my dad wanted me to go to school. He actually wanted me to be a doctor. And I was on that road. Yeah, until he got in some real trouble. He was uh, convicted in federal court and sentenced to 50 years in prison. And, uh, I was 19 at the time. I was the oldest of, uh, you know, my my brothers and sisters. So I really had to get out, you know, and and help my mom and and my dad get out of prison and help my mom with the kids. So, uh, I made a career change, so to speak. I went from college. Uh, my dad proposed me for membership in the Colombo family. And at the age of 24, I took an oath and became a made member in that life and, and lived uh, for the next 15, close to 20 years, uh, as part of that life so i was deeply embedded in me john you know and and then fortunately again to make a a very long story short i met a young woman uh who's now my wife of 38 years and she was a devout christian as was her mother and uh you know she really turned my head around and and things started to you know it it was a drastic change for me it it really was and
0: Well, you turned your head around, but you also turned your life around, and and you're doing so many amazing things. I mean, your YouTube channel is amazing. Um, your story, I know, inspires, and now you got this great children's book, The Treasure of Cabal Island. Uh, tell us, I mean, when, if you were thinking back 20 years ago, do you ever think you'd have on your resume children's book author?
2: Oh, John, that, that's <laughs> that's the last thing I ever thought would happen.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: But, you know, I have I have seven children of my own. I have uh, six grandchildren and now one on the way, so they'll be number seven. I'm sure there'll be more to come. And, you know, I really have a heart for kids. I always have. And when Brave Books approached me to to write this book with them, I saw it as a great opportunity. And they, they picked the subject that we, we actually both picked of uh, greed. And obviously, you know, being on the street and being in that lifestyle for many years, uh, I saw a lot of greed. I was... I have to say at times I was greedy myself. You know, money was was an object for me that I wanted to obtain. And, you know, it's it's very harmful. Obviously, it's not the way people should live. And I I think we have to teach our kids at a young age, you know, the uh, uh, you know, the detriment of being greedy. And so we wrote that book in in that light. And uh, I'm very happy with the result.
0: Yeah, and what a great uh, message! Because Gre- greed can blind, and particularly in the material world we live in, where we have access to so many shiny things that we we probably uh, lost after. Uh, being able to deliver this at a young age is so is so great. You've got some fun characters here. Uh, uh, what was your favorite? Do you have a favorite character in the book? Uh,
2: well, I like them all, but you know, I think. Um uh whiskers was was a favorite character uh character author yeah i mean i like them all actually john yeah really. nah, it's, a, it's you a, know the way we the way we wrote this i think it was really I, and you know the best thing is that kids and the parents are going to enjoy it and like you i'm excited uh, this saturday uh, i'm going to be at the mitchell library in um woodlands texas and i'll be reading to a number of kids and hopefully parents and grandparents and and uh, just inspire them, and uh, hopefully they'll they'll turn in and they'll subscribe to the whole uh, brave library because every message through these books is, is critical, And I think we have to start giving these uh, messages to our kids at a young age. Yeah,
0: we do. And uh, particularly because there's so many messages I think parents didn't know are getting delivered to their children in schools and social media that are not what parents want their children to learn. These are the perfect counterbalance to that. Uh, they're bu- visually beautiful. Your book is just gorgeous. I mean, the, the visual uh, artistry that walks children through this story, just, just amazing. I, I had the same experience when I worked with Brave on my book, Hidden Headlines um this movement that has begun in the libraries i mean it started as sort of a a little thing with my good friend kirk cameron and now it is a national movement there's a counter movement to it of course always got to be someone protesting but the idea that uh you can just deliver pro american pro god books that parents can be comfortable that their children and their families have uh, it's a pretty powerful movement because for a while i think that conversation was muted there weren't these there wasn't a demand or realization that we needed these type of books. How impressed are you that this has become a national movement?
2: Well, I'm I'm impressed with this and the fact that you know parents are now standing up for, um, you know, for the right things that their kids should be taught in school. Um, you know, they're they're countering this other argument that I don't even want to get into. It's so preposterous <laughs> yeah, to me, exactly, uh, John. It's it, it, I never thought I'd see the day uh, when you know we would have. Uh, An environment where, you know, people are trying to separate children from their parents and and trying to educate them without their parents knowledge of of curriculum. I I never thought I'd see the day. It's so outlandish to me. And the fact that parents are now saying, no, these are our children. We want to bring them up the right way. And the fact that they're, you know, doing national movements like this is so encouraging. It's so important.
0: Yeah. And the outpouring. I I went to one in Philadelphia, uh, the land where our country was born, all those great uh, constitutional battles and. Declaration of Independence and people were lined up around the block trying to get into the library. I mean, It probably took three, four hours. We did maybe six or eight <laughs> readings back to back to back. And it was so amazing just to sit with parents and realize two things. One, the pandemic really woke them up to, I didn't, had no idea what they were teaching my kids in school or what they were suggesting to my children. Uh, and then the, 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 the feeling of community that you know, all these parents would come together and, and find a moment that their children and them could share and they'd feel good about. It. They weren't worried about it. Uh, and now you're a big part of that with your your great book, The Treasure of Cabal Island. Um, you had an opportunity, I want to turn to just another subject quickly, more adult subject than kids' book subject for a second. Obviously, you you encountered uh, the criminal justice system. You went to prison, you atoned for your crimes, you, you really turned your life around. It's an amazing story. This Justice Department, the FBI system that we've seen today, is it the same one that you encountered? Do you have some worries about what you see in our law enforcement and justice system out of Washington?
2: Well, John, you know, let, let me tell you my experience, and, and please understand where I'm coming from. I, I never make excuses for my conduct on the street or my dad's. And, uh, you know, I've taken f- complete responsibility. I, I accepted a 10-year pr- prison term, uh, $15 million restitution, $5 million in forfeitures. I did eight years in prison. I did three years in solitary And, you know, I got what I deserved. Uh, I understand that. And my dad, who obviously did a lot of things in his life that uh, that he shouldn't have done. um, And and I admit to that, no question. But the case that he was uh, sent away to prison for 50 years on, my dad was innocent of. He was framed. I'll take that to my grave. I investigated the case thoroughly um you know we spoke to every witness that testified against them they all recanted their testimony we gave them lie detector tests we can never prove his innocence on that case because you know there were certain elements of the fbi and the justice department that didn't want my dad out of prison and no matter what uh, they were going to keep him there now let me let me put this in the right light okay you know, organized crime. We were criminals. People don't get too upset when Justice Department or FBI stretches, you know, the legal system a little bit to catch the bad guys, even though it's and not justify right.
0: the means, sort of thing, right?
2: Yeah, even though it's not right, John, because I've learned that when you give the, the the government an inch, they'll take a yard and they'll never give it back. And if they use it against the bad guys, it will evolve for them using it against people they shouldn't. And this is exactly what we're witnessing now. I have never in my lifetime seen such an overt attempt by the government, by the administration to go after their p- political enemies and to silence uh, people who uh, are opposed to their agenda. I've never seen anything like it. And it's it's being done so overtly now. And it is really, it's a scary thing. And I just hope people take notice of it. It because doesn't matter who- Because the life a bad life. Who Sorry about
0: that. What's that? Uh, Something popped in there. Just Ignore that. We'll cut it out.
2: (laughs) I mean, it it doesn't matter who it is. This is just not the right procedure. And people should be uh, in up in arms about this and not let it happen, because this is a very powerful uh, government that we have. And if they turn against the people for their own political reasons, we have a lot of trouble here. And it's happening. It's absolutely happening
0: it really is a consequential time. I mean, the America that we've known and the America we might be may be very different. I I was just on with another guest who said, you know, for the first time in my 60 years of my life, he said, I uh, lay awake at night wondering what sort of uh, world my children and grandchildren are going to inherit. I know that inspires you a lot with the great speaking you do, the great YouTube channel you have, writing the book. Um, What are some of the solutions? As someone who... went through such a drastic transformation who has been such a model and inspiration for people. When you look at this system, and there's really multiple things going on, right? we got our children being corrupted by different values and bogus lessons and guys and girls' locker rooms and stuff like that. And then you've got this sort of weaponization of government that really is eroding freedoms. When you look out, uh, former mob boss, children's book editor, and everything in between, what are some of the solutions that everyday Americans can maybe start to exercise to, to try to make a dent in this and try to get us back to the America we were?
2: Well, John, there's, there's so many issues that we have, but I, I can start with a few of them. Number one, understand this. I visited my dad for over 25 years in prison, and I, I did eight years myself. I was arrested probably 18 times during my life on, that, on the street. And the most outrageous thing I ever heard of is this movement to defund the police. And what we're seeing in cities where this movement has taken hold, cities like Seattle and Oregon and L.A. and New York, is an absolute disaster. I mean, when we have to hide our toothpaste behind the glass with lock and key, it's, it's dangerous. And people have to wake up to that. I don't think they understand. Well, they're getting it now because I'm hearing even cries from liberal cities that they just have had enough. So, number one, things like that, outrageous policies like that have to be reversed because more than anything, we need to be protected from from crime. So that's number one. And I think people are starting to see that and there'll be a movement back into the right direction. Uh, That's number one. Number two, you know, I did something recently and, and, you know, I don't ever want to be offensive to anybody. But, you know, John, when. Uh, when we're having pride parades where people are on bicycles naked in front of our children and teaching them this type of, of behavior, it's outrageous. It's, it's just, it's something that we shouldn't stand for And as parents and as, as you know, responsible citizens, we have to speak out against it. We have to stop it. I don't mind any, anybody can do what they want, uh, but they shouldn't impose it on every other person and especially on children and that's what's happening in our schools and parents are now fighting back so there's just a, a movement back to morality. I mean, that's it. It's it's back to morality. It's back to doing the right thing. And then if, if enough people stand up and talk about it, I think we'll see that shift to come back. I hope so.
0: Yeah, listen, I think that's the key is the conversation. I think for a while it was being censored a little bit. I mean, that's my, my book is about a censorship trying to teach children that's that's not a good thing either. But the intolerance of censorship, I think maybe stops some of that conversation, but it really feels like it's bubbling forward right now. And, and I think you and I are probably Probably both betting on the, the good common sense of America that that's going to break through in the in the next few months and people start to take stock and take of the what we need to do to fix it. Um, for all the things that you got to do, I, you have this great YouTube channel, uh, lots of inspirational messages, a lot of common sense messages too. What's the best way to stay in touch with all the great content you're producing uh, every day, Michael? Because it's it's really great stuff.
2: Well, thank you for that, John. And you know, I have I have a big presence on social media, and that's where most of the messages and the contact that I have with people. I also have my website, MichaelFrancis dot com, uh, it, but it's really social media. You have so many people that contact you on a daily basis, and it's inspiring. You know, um, you know, I've written a bunch of books, and uh, my last book, John, I don't know if you you're aware of it, aside from this children's book, uh, was a book called Mafia Democracy where I really I really break down how the government is acting uh, so Machiavellian and so mob-like. Uh, I, I never thought I'd see that day, but we're seeing it now. And, you know, the gratification there is that so many people have read the book and said, Michael, now I get it. I understand you broke it down for me. So, you know, we just, we just have to get the word out. And, and you know, I, I believe this. And, you know, my pastor did a wonderful um, uh, sermon, delivered a wonderful message on this, on the sins of, omission uh, rather than commission and when you have a platform and you're not you know talking about things and and spreading the gospel in a way because when you say the right things and you give people good moral advice you're actually spreading the gospel and if you fail to do that when you have a platform to do that well that's just just as sinful as the sin of commission so uh it that resonated very strongly with me so I try to use my platform as best as I can to, uh, to get the right word out to, to people and let them understand the right things to do. And, uh, and then, you know, we hope God takes it the rest of the
0: way. It's funny, when I was in Philadelphia, a young parent came up to me and said, my mom grew up in the Reagan years, and she used to tell me that he used to preach there was a silent majority American. I truly believe that, but silence isn't an option anymore. Silence is complicity. We've got to have our voices heard, and I, I heard that woman's voice as you were just saying what you said, because I think everybody has that sense of urgency that we we can't stay silent anymore about what's going on in this great country. And so, Michael, what great stuff. I'm so excited that you're a part of uh, this See you at the library day that you've written this great book. Everybody, go check it out. Go to bravebooks.us. It's very easy to do. Uh, and uh, go sign up for Michael's uh, brand new book, Treasure of Cabal Island. Go check out his other books. Go check out his YouTube channel. I'm serious. If you, if you click on the YouTube channel, you're going to sit there and watch for a while. I guarantee you. it's an amazing stuff. Michael Frenzies, what a great honor to have you. What a great um, honor to be part of the Brave Book family with you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to get you back on real soon, I think.
2: Well, John, I appreciate it and really a pleasure and hope we get to meet one day and and just keep up the great work. We need your voice and
0: and, uh, just keep it up, my friend. Well, right back at you. We need your voice as well. You're such an inspiration to so many folks. So, all right, folks, remember, Saturday is Back to Library Day. We're going to enjoy that all across this country. Go somewhere near a library to you and support this great effort by Brave Books, by by Michael, myself, and others who are trying to give parents a, a great tool to teach their children something positive about America and about God. All right. We got one good one left, and I mean a good one. Tim Stewart, president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. We're going to talk about why gas prices are going up. Think OPEC and Joe Biden. They're both responsible. And also, some of the obstacles that are being put in front of people so that oil and gas can't be produced in a way that would be beneficial to the American public. We're going to have that. And, of course, an opportunity to join Hands Off My Stove at handsoffmystove.com. Tim Stewart, right after these messages. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower Hey folks, can your IRA or 401k stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is right at our doorstep? By allocating a percentage of your retirement into physical gold and silver with a tax free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from a turbulent market and economic downturns. All you got to do is put your IRA back on the gold standard. With a multi-trillion dollar trade deficit and ongoing geopolitical instability, experts say now is the time to make the switch. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical precious metals. Protect your retirement today with one simple phone call and receive your free gold and silver guide from my good friends at Genesis Gold. To do that, call Genesis Gold Group today at 800-200- All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. It is Thursday, and it's a time when I like to spend a little bit of thought power on the state of our energy industry in America, the state of energy policy in America. We've got a Biden administration that's driving all sorts of initiatives that seem to be misaligned with Americans' interest, seem to be intruding into Americans' everyday homes, what appliances you can have in your kitchen, in your basement, and on your back deck. And also misaligned in terms of the growing energy demands of the United States and the ability to actually extract enough energy to meet them. No better person to bring into that than the president of the US Oil and Gas Association and our good friend, Tim Stewart. Tim, welcome back to the show. Thanks, John. It's always great to visit with you. Appreciate it we try hard to educate the public that energy policy is national security policy and it's economic security policy because the three are intertwined in ways that most americans don't realize until we have an energy crunch or you see prices go up at the pump let me start at that i think a lot of people who went to the pump the last couple of weeks here and as the summer's coming to a close noticing a rise in the cost of gasoline what's driving that
3: well you know you and i actually if we we had the conversation back at the start of the summer when the saudis first announced that that production cut and we were trying to postulate what that's gonna mean and I think you and I both agreed it's probably gonna be higher prices at the end of the summer starting to see that come to fruition. There's a lot of different factors that are at play that are actually fairly concerning and, and we ought to pay attention to over the next 90 or 120 days. Right now, um, this week was one of the biggest drawdowns on, on inventories, uh, oil and gas inventories in the United States we've seen for a long, long time. And so the supply, just the immediate supply, is actually starting to, to take a bite. Uh, And also, I think from the producer's side of things, you know, there were an awful lot of wells that were drilled but weren't completed during the COVID pandemic era where the gasoline demand was down so low, and those wells have now been brought online. But uh, I think what I'm seeing from our industry uh, is that we're a little bit behind in getting new wells, and there's a lot of different factors for that, economic and regulatory and other things. So I think, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but I think we're going to see some higher prices are going to run all the way through through the winter here. It's kind of concerning for a lot of us. And I wish I had better news for you. That's what we what we see happening right now.
0: And it could tick up that inflation, uh, which was just starting to come down a little bit. I mean, it's slowing down, it isn't coming down, it's slowing down. Uh, but obviously, energy prices could quickly reverse that uh, dynamic. And Of course, that means that interest rates go up. It's a sort of a vicious cycle right now. Uh, the inability Oh, go ahead, please. And we don't have the cushion that we
3: used to have with the strategic petroleum reserve. You know, we're down at 1983 levels now. Um, and as you know, you know, I complain about a lot. I've complained a lot about that. This is this isn't a political strategic reserve. It's a it's a petroleum reserve. And should, you know, God forbid that we have a, a horrible hurricane season in the fall or something like that, we don't have a, a very, very little cushion right now. So I think the Biden administration has
0: really horribly
3: mismanaged what is the reserve as well. That's another thing we need to watch carefully.
0: Yeah, that is a uh, that is a dynamic. That That's a game of Russian roulette that the president has played, unlike any recent uh, president in American history, uh, drawing that down to try to get some political benefit, but now leaving us one crisis away from feeling the the prospect of it yeah, it's 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 a yeah in past times certainly in the trump years if opec tried to tighten up supplies to drive up price we had the ability to just produce more because there was an energy first policy uh, in place today uh, there's so many constraints and i wonder if you could remind Our listeners of some of the ways that uh, Joe Biden's administration and Democrats in the states, because mostly Democrat states that are doing this, have made it harder and harder to uh, drill or explore or extract oil and gas or other energy sources. Uh, Literally, they're putting a lot of pressure downward on an asset that most Americans are demanding more of.
3: Yeah, you know, it, it, and it is exactly true. My good friend Tom Pyle, uh, over at Institute for Energy, I know you visited with him. He he has this ongoing list, and that's probably worth posting. I think we should probably post this: 150 different ways in which uh, the Biden administration has has taken action since January 21st of, of 2021 to to stop oil and gas. Uh, and to slow down oil and gas production and use of fossil fuels in the United States, it's a really, really interesting list. But it, uh and it's exhaustive. It covers everything from from the actual day one canceling the Keystone XL and suspending of the leases and the the approvals of uh, the applications for, for to permit to drill to right up through the the electric vehicle mandates that they put in place just a couple of weeks ago, and, and then and this week, the tailpipe emission standards, which they put in place as well. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is I, I know I sound like I, I'm, I'm beating the, the same drum every single week, but this administration is probably the most hostile towards the oil and gas industry of any in, in any point in history, the most unfavorable regulatory or political environment that my industry has ever gone through. And so we continue to fight through that. The reason why, John, is because people use what we produce, they they need. They don't just demand it. They need it in their everyday life. And and political regimes come and go. But the fact of the matter is, is, is fossil fuels have made our modern life so much better. And it, it will be. And it's almost impossible to replace that in the short term, like the administration's trying to do.
0: Well, uh, Americans might say, listen, if there was a real alternative, all right, uh, get elections have consequences. And therefore, all right, we'll have to live with whatever. But there isn't an alternative. There's nothing filling that energy void right now. So that drives up, obviously, people's costs, uh, making it harder, harder to fill up the tank or the grass. And then the grocery store gets more comfortable because transport uh, more expensive because transportation costs are going up. It's the lack of having anything to replace it. But imposing the restrictions that I think has created this vicious cycle that probably won't go away anytime soon. Um, there's one other thing going on and it caught a lot of people's attention this week. There are a group of liberal United States Senator, Bernie Sanders among them, a former presidential candidate, Ed Markey, Jeff Merkley, um, Liz Warren, uh, they all put Ed Markey from Massachusetts, of course, uh, wrote a letter urging the Justice Department to use lawfare, use its powers to further uh, harm the fossil fuel industry, sue them and uh, basically create a, create a campaign uh, to uh, hold them accountable for what they say is climate change this is probably not good news for an industry that's already struggling to live in the regulatory regime and get enough energy out for americans is it
3: well you're going to put a quarter in me and rip me up here are you ready to go because this one <laughs> i really am me, all right? let it
0: rip <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I, and i and i and
3: i have to kind of lead with this disclaimer that none of the companies that were singled in, out in that letter are actually members of the u.s oil and gas association and so senator warren can't call me a shill for exxon and and, and what that does, that, that allows me to say the quiet part out loud, which is this, okay? Uh, for the past 100 years, the federal government itself is one of the biggest fossil energy producers in the world, dating all the way back to 1920 in the Mineral Leasing Act. Federal lands comprise 25% of all of our nation's oil and gas assets and currently produce 10% of all of oil and gas right now. And so the federal government, which receives billions in federal royalties each year from the oil and gas industry, that's the second largest contributor to the federal and the state budgets besides the income tax. So the funny thing is this John, when these senators are requesting the Department of Justice sue energy companies, the Department of Justice also then needs to sue the Department of Interior for issuing the oil leases. They have to sue the Department of Transportation for allowing the pipelines to be built. They have to sue the Treasury Department for collecting the royalties, and they have to sue the Department of Energy for storing the oil in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It's nonsensical, and it's silly logic. It, the federal government has to sue itself for its own contribution to climate change. Like the administration hates oil and gas, I understand that. But these lawsuits—they're not going to bring these lawsuits because there's no legal basis. This is really just an an unserious letter signed by unfortunately increasingly unserious people in the United States Senate, and that's that's the bottom line. So. Sorry, you got me revved up there, but i feel strongly about this. It's just silly, as it's ridiculous. So
0: it, it, it's all designed, I assume, to get their donor base excited for the 2024 election because they don't have a lot of successes in the Biden or Democrat Congress policies right now to, to you know remind readers right and so or remind voters. And so they, it seems like they're just trying to rev up their base with something. It's not going to go anywhere, as far as I can tell.
3: Yeah. And I think, look, I understand the politics behind that. I agree with you on that. This is a, the appeal to the base, but the hypocrisy is what bothers me more than anything. And it should be, you know, I mean, these senators themselves, they they continue to use the exact same consumer products that are made from fossil fuels that you and I do. And they climb into their black suburbans to go home and they cook dinner on their gas stoves and they wash the dishes with hot water. that from, comes from their gas-fired water heaters and, Jeff Merkley, the senator from Oregon, flies cross country every single week to go home for the weekend using air travel. And it's this hypocrisy. He's not on a solar
0: powered plane, as far as I can tell. That's right. So if you don't like us, that's fine. But stop using
3: us, you know, and until then, keep your hypocrisy at, at a level which we understand. So that's that's my other my other beef with this whole thing. So that, but I think it's time to call it out, the hypocrisy. Um, and I can again. I can do that without being a paid, uh, you know, paid by some of these companies. So that's that's. I feel good about that.
0: Yeah. No. It's 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 just coming from your your expertise in the energy industry. Listen. Every prediction you've made in the last two three years has played out because you understand the chess game that is energy production. And when uh, when the Biden administration throws checkers into a chess game, you know they 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 make it more and more difficult for. Uh, the c- country to meet its energy demands. There's another dynamic. There are several liberal states, Connecticut, the most recent, uh, that has, uh, declared they're going to get rid of gas vehicles by 2035. This is a fascinating, uh, movement because it has a clear end game, but no clear pathway to getting to that end game. i I, I have a small condo in Connecticut. And in January, my electric bill went up, I think 43%. Uh, in one month, just went up. The rate went up because Connecticut doesn't have enough load. And so, uh, to meet demand. And so they're doing this. Uh, you, you make everybody drive a car in that grid system. You're going to basically shut down Connecticut. Connecticut's going to be using candles again, like it did in the 1700s. Um, how, uh, farcical is this move? Even if it's well intentioned, let's say, Hey, we then people want to get the electric cars. The, the card is a couple miles ahead of the horse, isn't it?
3: Yeah, you know, I just, I just think it, it. I, I wish I could give them the benefit of the doubt that it's well intentioned, uh, but what it is is it's government mandated scarcity for the for the, for the in perpetuity for the entire future of, of these individual states. And you, you are essentially saying that, that no longer will the people, if you live in this state, you will no longer, after you know, the next seven years, have the ability or the flexibility to, to be warm or to cook your food in a particular way or to drive a particular type of car. We're going and, and yet we've given you no Viable alternative or viable viable replacement that will be that will be affordable by the time these mandates kick in, and so you, you know you sit back standards, This is like this isn't this great? We're gonna we're gonna party like it's 1699. You know it's, <laughs> exactly. it's it, 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 it. And I, I kind of joke about that, but the cost of eliminating fossil fuels you can't put it into monetary terms, and that's what they're trying to do. We're gonna save money. It needs to be put into historical terms. And you eliminate fossil fuels, you literally are turning back the clock to the early 1700s, like you say. And and it's a mandated scarcity. It's a mandated uh, uh, lower quality of life. And I don't know why uh, elected officials feel it is their it is their ability or responsibility to
0: do that. It's it's really
3: a not a good situation for some of these states.
0: No, it isn't. And I think now. Uh, as you look out, uh, the energy policies, which often are abstract to Americans, right? Uh, the only thing they know me feel is when it goes something at, at the gas pump goes up and Oh God, now you gotta pay 50 cents more buck, more gallon. But now there's this very personal intrusion into our most uh, private area, our homes. You can't have a gas stove. You might not be able to get a water heater. You might not get a, uh, um, uh, a gas powered furnace in the future, I think gas girls in the back deck are probably in danger pretty soon. Uh, the the intrusion into our most personal space, I think, changes or creates a new dynamic for everyday Americans when it comes to energy policy. What are you seeing? You started hands off my stove, uh, which really I think is probably going to become hands off my house because there's so many other different assaults started. What um, what intrusions are? Uh, what do you see Americans? Uh, how are they beginning to react to this idea that the government is sticking its finger into their kitchen, uh, uh, into their kitchen, or their back deck, or their basement?
3: Well, I think they're starting, really starting to vote with their wallets. You know, um, I was, I had a friend who was telling me that she was trying to buy. She just moved into a new house and was trying to buy a new washer and dryer, and was looking for a gas dryer. And the guy at Home Depot said, we've only got two, you know, only got two in inventory, got 49 electric dryers, but people are buying up the gas, the gas dryers now while they can. It's that same, you know, if I were to sort of be a a prophet of, of doom and gloom, you know, in 2007, they out they put the ban in place for incandescent light bulbs, and that went into effect this week, okay? And it was, what's that, 15 years or so? Uh, if, if I don't do my job on behalf of my industry 15 years from now, we will not be able to find any gas appliances. It doesn't mean that we don't still, you know, we still need light. You know we'll still need to dry our clothes and to cool our houses and to cook our food, but we won't have the the affordable and cheap means to do it and that's really bad um and i'm i'm i am i am we are again we're getting traction, but people right now are really starting to vote with their wallets and um and that's something we ought to watch carefully the uh the you know some people say this is a conspiracy theory, oh, you're just being a conspiracy theorist and but you know the media reported when when the government banned stoves it was a bunch of tinfoil hat stuff. And then they said the government was doing it, you know, and they got the media got no subclient the when they couldn't sort of cover for that anymore. And so, uh, I, I would say, I'd say that the, we learned that the distance between something being labeled conspiracy theory and, the Biden administration actions is usually about ninety days. You know, <laughs> that's how long it takes to go from conspiracy theory to reality with this administration. And so, we haven't seen the propane, uh, the propane regulations, but it wouldn't surprise me in ninety days if we're one hundred twenty days if we're hearing something they want to regulate how we we grill in our backyards. So it's all coming together. It's their, it's their master, it's a, that sort of that master. Uh, all of government approach where they will they are trying to the climate agenda is the is the government agenda. And, um, you know, sorry, you can put a quarter on me, John. I got to keep going. But ready? Uh, (laughs) Fire away. is, is, Is the climate alarmism is just Marxism that has been repackaged for a lazier and a more malleable generation. You know, Marxism was about mobilizing workers and and the use of fossil fuels has created such a high standard of living for the developed world that the workers are pretty comfortable right now. So Marxism can't mobilize the workers because they're so comfortable. But you can do that through climate alarmism. You give them a sense of purpose without having to work very hard. And it's the surrender approach. Which falls very much into the, the the hands of the U.S. enemies like China, who needs us to be soft and malleable and 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 to to, to allow them to achieve their their 21st century goals. And so that's me. Um, but that's I really think what we're trying to deal with right now.
0: Yeah. No, it's really. Um... That is really a a dynamic that I think we're there. There was another dynamic this week. I I was kind of confused by it. I think our good friends at the Western Energy Alliance were and others, and I know you called it out on Twitter as well. We were getting a lot of mixed messages over the last couple of weeks about the natural gas industry because the policy... Uh, movements of the industry uh, of the administration are really uh, cr- uh, uh, cracking down particularly with the methane regs uh, trying to really squeeze natural gas out of business right so that's the first piece of it and then you flip around and you see the second part of it and you got mayor Pete and other people out there saying well you know it's it's kind of climate friendly it's good it's helpful um, are, do, are they having a little bit of a messaging uh, conflict right now
3: but they are, Um and they're trying to cover all their bases, you know. Yeah, they're, they want to be able to point to, oh, no, we never said that when, when they said that. And this has been the struggle we've had for the last two and a half years. This goes back to your first question, the 150 different actions that they have taken against the, the production and use of fossil fuels for Americans versus what they can say on twitter or they can say I'm at and um they they are not they're not walking the walk you know they'll they'll throw something out there occasionally it was two I guess it was a week ago when when on friday the the department of interior announced the, the new restrictions on oil and gas leasing and the new costs for producers to do them. To, to produce on federal lands. And on Saturday, the Secretary of Energy said, we need more supply. And so it is a, it is a somewhat of a schizophrenic approach, but I think it's designed intentionally to give themselves cover for the political season that's about to
0: come in. Yeah, that's really important. So, handsoffmystove.com is such a great way for everyday Americans to get their voice in the game, to put a little muscle behind this and say, listen, we want a clean energy future, but not at the expense of not being able to do the basics of, uh, our, what we need in our home, what we want in our home. We still want choice. We want to pick the appliances. I can't, I've never met a chef who said, Oh, I can't wait to uh, cook on electric. They don't. They like to cook on gas. Tell us a little bit about handsoffmystove.com. I know it's $12 a year, a buck a month. That's cheaper than even a, a soda at McDonald's. Uh, what are some of the benefits and what are some of the things that people who have joined it have been getting, uh, to get their, their own, uh, muscle in the game?
3: Yeah, and I appreciate that. So this was a a little initiative that we started a few months ago when that conspiracy theory about gas stoves was just a conspiracy theory before it became reality. And uh, we decided, look, we've got to give people a a chance or an opportunity to figure out how to – to do something at the local level. And that's really hard because uh, this is a two-pronged approach. You've, you've got the administration, which is trying to do things at the federal level, and they've been stopped by Congress. We've actually been very successful in the last uh, four months in getting legislation and um, some, some legislative language which will, which will put, slow down these regulations and the implementation of these regs. The problem is we're still we're still in the fighting the fight at a hundred different uh, local levels, and the people you know they could, it's one thing to call a member of Congress it's another thing to go after the mayor and the city council, and so we we are doing our best to really help them organize in that case. Uh, To to give them some information each week, here's what's happening in your area, here's what to be watching in your area, Uh, and some ideas on how they can either connect with other groups who are also working on the same thing and or to be activists, taking that more activist role themselves. So it's designed to just kind of arm people um, at the local level to To figure out how to do it, how to interact with your mayor, how to interact with your city council member, uh, and to keep them informed, and it's a it's a fun little project. It's all run by volunteers. It's not it's funded on a shoestring, basically. And so, if somebody donates twelve bucks, you know, it, it goes to the common good, and and uh, it, you may not be you may be sitting somewhere in say Des Moines, but you may not and may not have a, an immediate uh, uh, Emergency action on your end, but you can sure help the people in Boston who this week learned that it's that, the intent of the mayor in the next uh, in the next uh, few months to outlaw any new uh, natural gas hookups in in residential units. And so it's it's for the common good. It's it's patriots all across the country who are trying to uh, organize and help each other out. It's a fun little
0: a fun little cause we've taken up here. Yeah, no, it is. And, uh, it's, it's very personal. It's one of the few times in the 35 years I've been in Washington that an energy issue, uh, issue felt really personal beyond, you know, the experience of the pump, obviously. But, uh, this just feels like, hey, somebody's in my kitchen and I don't like it. Get out, get out. And I think you, you have, uh, you've struck a nerve that is going to lead to a, one of the great grassroots movements. Uh, in American history, uh, for uh, folks who want to follow U.S. oil and gas uh, and all the great work you do, or to join, hands off my stove. What are the two best ways to do that?
3: Well, handsoffmystove.com dot uh, com is where you want to go to join for that movement. And if you want to follow, sort of uh, U.S. oil and gas association, uh, we we got actually two fun things. One, follow us on Twitter. We're uh, uh, we're just. Kind of obnoxious and and not obnoxious. We're we're fun. <laughs> yeah, we're different from other trades. The other trades are boring. Okay, we say funny things, and so there isn't any reason why my industry can't be fun. And that's what we're trying to do. So follow us on Twitter that way. But one thing that we're going we're really excited about is is we each week we write sort of just a, a an update on on energy and Washington and policy and politics and everything. Yeah, we're gonna actually make that public. We we've only sent it out to our members uh, for for years, but it is. I think we're now ready for prime time where where we're gonna make that public uh, to anybody who wants it, and they can subscribe. They'll they'll get it uh, a few hours after we send it out to our members. You know, your your listeners would probably really enjoy and appreciate some of the the fun stuff we write there. So um, we'll we'll announce how to how to subscribe to that
0: here in the next couple of weeks once we get set up and ready to go. Yeah, no, I think that's going to be a great thing to watch, folks. Just go check all that out. All right, Tim. Always a great honor. The other thing, sorry, you,
3: the Just the News Energy newsletter is phenomenal, by the way. Uh, and if people aren't subscribed to that, they should. It's, it is one of the best sort of uh, aggregated news uh, stories and energy that I that I subscribe to, and I got
0: dozens and dozens of things across my desk. So your your team is doing a great job at Just the News. Well, we're we're lucky to have the partnership, and uh, we got a good one in Addison Smith who's doing a lot of the reporting. So we feel really, really lucky. So. Tim. It's always an honor to have you on. This is great stuff. And uh, we're going to keep a close eye on all these different fronts. This is going to be, I think, an expensive summer to fall transition at the pump. Speed. We're starting to fill some of the impact of Biden energy policies oh, once again in the gas tank. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. Good to be with you. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Thanks for joining us. God bless you. Keep an eye on Just the News. We got you covered on the Trump arraignment today. We're going to have another big breaking story about Hunter Biden and China coming up in the next 24 hours. You're going to want to watch that. And of course, we'll have all of the great coverage of news breaking around town, a lot of momentous things going on around the world today, unrest in Nigeria, so many things going on. Be sure to check in with us all day and all night or download The Just the News app on the Android and Apple stores. That's an easy way to do it for your smartphone or your tablet. All right. And one last one. Remember, we just had that conversation with Tim Stewart. If you want to get involved in a national movement to tell governments, you're not taking my gas stove, not taking my gas water heater. You're not telling me what I can put in my basement or in my kitchen or on my back deck. Go to handsoffmystove.com, join today. I did it. I'll buck a month, $12 a year. That's a great deal to have your voice heard, which is an important thing on such an important debate as the choices you'll have available to you in the future of your home. Uh, hands off my stove.com is the way to go. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. God bless you. God bless this extraordinary country of the United States of America, as he always has. You've been listening to, I hope, one of your favorite podcasts. We'll be back tomorrow. God bless. Good night. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of